eight years, in all, like literally on November, what is it, November 4th, eight complete years of doing this thing that I've been doing. Tell you what, guys, I won't tell the director where to put the camera, and I won't tell the script supervisor how much to feed her cats. And you guys don't tell me what to give to Lou. How about that? How about that? Eight year in all like eight year in all like literally. Hey, welcome to the Bitters Pillars Dan Class. I'm in my garage. You know, uh, somewhat actor, stay at home dad ish, shut in ish. We're in the basically. So here I am. Hi, I'm in my garage. As you know, in a uh, you know what do you call it, a drywall, I can never think of the word drywall. How long have I been sitting in this drywall box that was built my, by my cousins, the load-bearing studs? How long have I been sitting in this drywall box? And whenever I go to say I'm sitting in a drywall, I can't think of the word drywall. How long is that going to go on? I'm sitting in a drywall box uh, under the flight path at Los Angeles International Airport. My dog is here. Did you know we even have a dog? Are you just returning to me now, Megan, after so long? Is that what's, is that, so, so, here's this, I mean, where do you even begin? Welcome to the bitter spill. I think this is number 302. I have no idea. So, okay, well, here's where we'll begin. We'll begin at the end and then we'll go back to the beginning and and then we'll talk about all the really insignificant stuff. So, uh, Sunday... I got together Lance Anderson. Remember Lance Anderson of uh, Verge of the Fringe podcast, podcasting pioneer, storyteller, Lance Anderson. So Lance started and has been the chief whatever of L.A. podcasters. It was a little group, you know. We're in L.A. We're podcasters. We get together. And we'd get together, you know, we'd get together with uh, Grant Bachoco from Radio Adventures of Dr. Floyd and Tres Jefes and uh, Larry from the poetry thing. You know, whatever, all these L.A. people. Kush and Tim Coyne. And, uh. So on Sunday, there was a little kind of reunion meetup. Not that many people came. and um, But we're all chit-chatting. Grant was there and Lance and Steve, who's... Last name, forgive me. Last names are eluding me, Paul. That's the dog scratching. No, last names are eluding me because of my emotional state. And we'll, we're getting to that. That's where we're going, you see. So we're having this meetup. And um, Paul and I, who does a Disneyland podcast or a series of Disneyland, po- he, he may have a Disneyland podcast empire. I'm not really clear. But he and I started talking about the fact that, you know, four years ago, whatever it was, I took the premium pill. You got to stop. Can you stop making sounds? What's the matter, buddy? You're paying too much attention to me. Go lie down and sleep. You're, you're eyeballing me and shaking. Do you hear that? Okay. So blah blah blah, premium pill, blah blah blah, two ninety nine a month. You know how it goes, right? You know. So he was asking me how it was going, and I'm like, "Listen, man, I'll be honest with you. I don't recommend it." You know, I used to have all these listeners, and then I put up that wall, and only a couple of them. God bless them. You're fine, fine people, and you know how much I love you. You've helped support me and my family for the last four years, but not that many people really jumped the wall. I had a lot of people that. You know, and I likened it to when Howard Stern went to Sirius. I didn't go to Sirius. I just said goodbye to Howard Stern. I stopped listening to Howard Stern. I didn't subscribe. I admit it. 
So I was saying to Paul on Sunday, you know, Paul, uh, 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 whatever, whatever. If I had it to do it again, if I had it to do again, I think I may have even said, I probably wouldn't do it again. Uh, you know, use that business model to monetize, quote unquote, the podcast. Okay. So this is on Sunday. Now, in tandem with this, synchronicity, simultaneous, right? Mm-mm-mm. I'm getting emails and Facebook posts and tweets and other, from the listeners, the few listeners that I have saying, hey, Dan, every time I try to get the new show, I'm getting an error message from iTunes. So because I am not only the show host and producer, writer, executive producer, craft service, etc., I'm also, as you can imagine, tech support. So I look into it. And so I write to my man, Paul, Paul Colligan, who got me involved in Premium Cast, the company that ended up kind of, you know, they handle all this end of it. You understand? I log into Premium Cast and I put in the new show and I put in the link to the new show and then I save and, and it works. Well, apparently Premium Cast got bought by another company named NanoCast, something like that. And uh, so I contact Paul. Paul contacts NanoCast. NanoCast gets back to Paul. Paul gets back to me and basically says, uh, NanoCast shut down Premium Cast and uh, you have no more show. The Premium, I mean, he didn't put it that indelicately. I'm putting it that indelicately. Basically, the premium bill just kind of got like a big switch just got flipped and now it's gone. My list of subscribers, the mechanism by which they are maintained, the list of all the shows in the system, pillbox, pillbox two, pillbox three, which was almost done and ready to be distributed, pillbox four, which was halfway done and ready, right? All the information, all the hours of data entry and cutting and pasting and this thing and thatting, everything gone. Gone. So, yeah. Gone. Now, so, where that, right? So, here we go. So, here I am, and it's Monday now, at this point, and I get this email, and I, like, there's no more show. Because I don't even know if anybody still listens for free, and that's my fault, and I know, and I was even telling Paul at the thing, like, Disney Paul. I was like, Disney Paul... I have so neglected the free feed. I don't. Even, I assume it still works. I put stuff on it every once in a while. No one contacts me about it. I, I probably have no list. I, you know, whatever. And, you know, I fantasize about quitting doing this because, listen, I, <laughs> I've been doing this for eight years. Eight years. Eight years. In all, like, literally on November, what is it, November 4th, eight complete years of doing this thing that I've been doing. Um, and so I'm partly seeing this as kind of like this opportunity gets right dumped into my lap. Like, here you go, Dan. You've been saying you wanted to quit. Okay, buddy, go for it. And then the other part of me is like, I'm free. <laughs> I'm free, but not free of the show, free of the premium show. Free of that feeling that I have to put out a show and it's something that I have to do because it's part of my job and my income and on a thing with a thing with a thing. Of course, now I got to figure out how to make the money because basically what happened when the guy flipped the switch, he, he cut off a, a fairly significant revenue stream for Danny Boy. Not a gigantic, not a like, right? 
pay all your bills revenue stream, but it's an amount of money that I went, hey, would you be willing to not have that? You'd say, no, I'm not willing to not have that. I need that. That's a chunk, man. But as of right now, the, the bitterest pill is free. We're back. And those of you that never jumped the wall, the wall is now down. The bitterest pill Berlin Wall has been destroyed, and uh, I am somewhat elated by the whole thing. So, so th- for those of you that haven't listened in four years, hi. Um, uh, I'm still small and bald. I still wear glasses. I'm trying to uh, get acting jobs in TV shows. It's not happening. We have a dog. His name's Hugo. He's a rescue mutt. He's been here two years. Uh, I'm still married and have kids, although little Hudson. You know, remember little Hudson? My daddy will now make an announcement. Remember him? Yeah, he's a teenager. He's a teenager who's taller than his mother and freaking out. We're shopping high schools. That's all. Uh, that's it. So on with my life. So this is where we left off. This, so we're done with that. We're done with that. We're done with that. So if you want to listen to the premium pill or the, the, the bitterest, there's no such thing anymore as the premium pill. That's dead. And that may never come back ever. Okay. This is now, this is a podcast called The Bitterest Pill. Hello. I started doing this in November 4th, uh, 2004. You can't take that away from me, no matter how hard you try. So, <sighs> so now, um, on with the show. Did I say, yeah, I hit, okay. Um, so my daughter did that commercial and it's going to start to air uh, somewhere. I think here in California, I have no idea. My daughter, for those of you just tuning in, my daughter is going to be in a, a commercial for a big car company. I, I, well, I can say it now. It's Honda. She's going to be in a big Honda commercial. When I say big, I don't know how big it is. It was big to shoot. I'll tell you that right now. So my daughter, um, th- you'll have to listen. I'm not going to explain the whole thing again, okay? I don't know where you've been for four years. I'm not getting into it. But my daughter is in a commercial. That is going to start airing November something like 19th or so. Okay. So if you see a really adorable, awesome, blonde, little like nine-year-old, that's my daughter. That is my spawn. That is one of the two gifts that I give to you, world. I have accomplished nothing really honestly in my life except 302 of these psychotic recordings and uh, my kids. So... When you see a Honda commercial with a really cute blonde girl talking to the camera the whole time, that's her. So blah, blah, blah. So she got hired to do this commercial. And uh, I don't I don't remember. No, I guess we, we really haven't gotten into this, have we? Okay, good. So let's talk about this. We'll talk about this for a little while. And then uh, my, my wife called. I edited it out, but my wife called and... Um, she needs me to record something, so we might take a break in a second. But okay, so, <laughs> so, um, you know, my wife and I aren't really that anxious for my daughter to be in commercials. Let's be very clear here. My wife works on in, in advertising on one side of the camera. I work in advertising on the other. Really, not. It's not like a dream come true for her to be in this commercial. Other than we're so proud of her and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so she did get cast. And she's been such a pro. She did this demo for it, and she was a pro, and she's awesome, and she's awesome. And, I'm, and partly I am saying that because I'm her father, and I love her, and she's like a little blonde me. But part of it is just objectively 
my daughter's awesome and I'm sorry and I'm not going to apologize for that. Listen, if you just if you develop some kind of complex because my daughter's awesome, that's your right. Keep that baggage on your cart, baby. I'm going to the penthouse with my little star. So we know that the shoot is coming up. And they tell us, you know, the shoot's going to be on, you know, let's say Tuesday or whatever. Now, I'm starting to stress out because I'm the chauffeur, bodyguard, adult guy, right? And I know what she's getting herself into. She's getting herself into a real shoot, like, with cameras and lights and grips and makeup and hair and, like, every, just a hundred people standing around staring at her for a day or two. And so I am getting a little uptight for her. And one of the the first things I get to worry about is where are we going to shoot? Because... My daughter does not do really, honestly, that well in the car. She gets car sick. Obviously, awesome that she's in a car commercial that she gets car sick. <laughs> but really, I'm worried long before that whether she's going to get car sick on the way there. Because a lot of times when I work, you know, they'll call me the night before and go, Hey, Dan, okay, well, we're shooting tomorrow at 6 a.m. in uh, Sun Valley. And then I have to get up at the crack of dawn, which she is not going to like, and drive out to Sun Valley, which she is not really, not really, not going to like. But see, it's not me that's in the commercial. It's my daughter. So my daughter gets a call, not at like 8.30 the night before, but more like, like, "Ah, you know, 3 o'clock the night before. And they say, hi, you know, I'm calling with Toulouse, uh, that's my daughter's name, call time. And we're going to be shooting, um, you know, she, she needs to be there around, um, and I forget what they said. It was something like 10 in the morning, which is insane. And maybe it's because she's a minor and she can only be there for so many hours and then she has to go to school for so many hours. But her call time is 10, and not 6.30, 10. And so then I say, because I'm dreading this drive, I'm just dreading it. Because what we have to do is pull over. Even if we're on the freeway, we have to, like, get off the freeway, pull over, let her walk around for a while. I mean, we're used to this, but it's not, right? <laughs> so I say, just so I can brace myself and kind of brace her, well, where are we going to shoot? And she says, oh, we're shooting over in Westchester. Do you know where that is? And I say, yes, that's where we live. We live in Westchester. Are you serious? She's like, yeah, we're shooting. Uh, and she gives me the address and it's like, yeah, we're shooting uh, near the corner of 79th Street and uh, Halifax. I, I can't think of the name of it. So my daughter, my my daughter, the one that's just right. This should be a sign for me to get out and her to get in. My daughter's call time is 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, really, honestly, like a block and a half from our house. So the next day, you know, she gets to sleep in. Her brother goes to school. I take her brother to school. I come back. We give her a little breakfast. I think we she took a bath. Blah, blah, blah. We head over to the set. And re- literally, we just go to the other side of the main street from our in our neighborhood. There's a main Sepulveda runs through Westchester. And we just go to the other side of that. And the d- instructions that we have are to park in some uh, in the parking lot of a church 
that's on the corner of Sepulveda and 79th Street, which we do. So we pull in there and we're part, right? And it's about, I don't know, five or 10 of 10 or whatever. And there's a guy standing around in the parking lot, as there typically is, like a security guy. And I say to the security guy, hey, um, is there going to be a van to take people to the set? Or do we just walk or what do we do? And he says, oh, you just walk. It's just down any points. And he, it's just up there. Like, oh, okay. Now I've got a nine-year-old girl with me. And he points and we start walking because he said there's no van and we're walking and we're walking. And I'm like, honey, we're going to be there soon. And I'm walking and walking and we're walking. And I'm like, honey, I hope we're going in the right direction because we're walking. And we're kind of just in the middle of the neighborhood. And I don't know. I don't see the set and I don't see a van and I, I don't see anything. So she's walking up the, the street. I'm walking up the street backwards looking for a van to come by. Because I keep explaining to her, honey, I know you're getting tired. Because keep in mind, her legs are only like a foot and a half long. She's nine. Finally, this van comes by that, and you know, you can kind of spot crew members after a while. You know what I mean? After a decade, you tend to be able to, right? After long enough in the business, you could be blindfolded, taken to a set. They take the blindfold off and you could name everybody's role in the, right? You're the camera guy, you're the grip, your makeup, your wardrobe. Craft service, go. Finally, this van comes by, and I kind of wave him, and I, I'm like, hey, dude, are you for Honda? And he's like, yeah. Why, are you going, are you going to the set? And I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. It's really far, and I've got her with me. Can you give us a ride? And he's like, well, I guess I could, but it's right there. And he points, and we're literally... 10 steps from it. We've walked a quarter of a mile or a half a mile, but yeah, we're there too late. And I say to the guy, well, so was there a, 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 a van? And he's like, yeah, sure. You should have just taken the van. I would have given you a ride. <laughs> now, the part of the story that I have not told you is so they call me they give me the time they say Tulu needs to be there at 10 in your neighborhood and I say great and then I ask them if they can send us a call sheet now a call sheet's just a big spreadsheety looking page and it's got everybody's name and everybody's um, you know email or whatever but it's got everybody's name and their position and what time they need to be there and what time you're shooting and where you're shooting and all that stuff. And it's just good to have in case you forget someone's name. You know what I mean? Like someone that you've been introduced to three times, like the wardrobe person or the producer or something. It's just good to have that and you can kind of, you know, study. So it doesn't come. It doesn't come. It doesn't even come. And I have to kind of bug them a little bit about it. They finally send it the next day, the day we're going to shoot at about nine o'clock before we're heading over there. And my wife has decided she wants to come over, and she's going to take about half day and kind of work from there, but be on the set to, you know, hang out with our daughter, who's never done this before, and who is essentially the star of this commercial. So, uh, I get the call sheet, and... What happens is, whenever I go to an audition... Because my wife is in the business. I come home from the audition and Melissa will ask me who was the director. Especially if it's a callback. 
And I will typically say, I don't know, honey. They don't introduce themselves. They just don't. I'm an actor. You don't understand how low on the totem pole I am. I'm just an actor. You got to relax. I don't know. So now I've gotten into the habit because I really want to avoid these conversations. I've gotten into the habit of, when I can, looking to at least find out who the production company is and who the agency is. Now, Melissa knows who the agency is, so I tell her who the production company is. I can't remember the name. doesn't really matter. So when I get the call sheet, I look to see the name of the director because I had met him at the wardrobe fitting and Melissa wasn't there. And his name is Frank. And I recognize his last name, his name. I recognize Frank's name. Not because we've met and not because uh, he's a commercial director, but because I think he's one of the last guys my wife dated before we met. I think. See, I think the year before, the school year, before we met, we met in November, October of 19... (laughs) But anyway, the year before that, I think, because he graduated a year before us from Syracuse, I dated. Okay. So let me get this straight. My daughter is in a commercial, and we're shooting in my neighborhood, and the director is a guy... My wife. Now I know we've been married for 20 years. I know that, but you understand. Part of me is still really honestly only 17, 19 tops. It's just weird. Isn't is that weird? Or is that just totally normal? But because I met my wife when I was 19, 20, you know, 22, let's say, 20, 19, 20, 21. Yeah. 22, 21 ish. And we were apart a little bit, but I, you know, as an adult, it's not like I dated into my 30s. You know what I mean? Like, if you date into your 30s, you're probably used to running into people that you know or you dated or people that your spouse dated. That's probably a normal thing. That's not a normal thing for me. Because we live in California, and we grew up in New York, and we went to school in New York, so it's kind of a little odd. Right? But because I'm trying to seem, even to my wife, like a mature adult man, I refuse to ask my wife for details now about something that we discussed, you know, uh, when we first became seriously involved. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, for a little while I went out with uh, Frank, you know, but, uh, uh, you know. I can't stand in my bedroom as my wife is getting my wife, right, of 20 years and say, hey, by the way. Can you clarify some finer points for me of the extent of your dating, Frank, 30, 25 years ago? Can we can we just kind of go over a little refresher before we hit the set? Because I need to know. Uh, uh, uh. Because I know it would be weird if we went to the set and there was a woman there that I had dated. Which is just as unlikely slash likely and just as possible slash impossible and I know that would be weird like hey <laughs> how you doing there you with this my this yeah if you met you know that kind of thing so we get to the set everything's cool everything's fine whatever but Melissa and I are very kind of 
you know, we're a little controlling in the food department with our kids. And one of the main reasons is, as you know, daddy, me, I suffer from, uh, what time is it? Uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, 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 low blood sugar. I can't just eat what I want because it makes me more crazy than I am. So we tend to kind of try to manage, especially when one of our children is, I don't know, working in a professional situation, try to manage their food. But we, when we arrive on the set, we are immediately introduced to the set teacher. Because... Miners, when they work on a set, they have to have, be taught. They have to go to school. They have to be taught. There has to be a teacher slash social worker there. And this teacher slash social worker, I, I guess to like earn the favor of my daughter, keeps plying her with snack food that we would never give her. Ever. Even if she was just going to sit home and watch TV all day, let alone if she had to memorize lines and hit marks and do the same thing over and over again like a professional actor. Perfectly nice woman, but I just like, can we none with the cheese nips? Can we hold back on those, please? So part of the day does become kind of this weird, you know, chemical juggling act of maintaining my daughter's uh, glucose levels, (laughs) right? Okay. So lunchtime comes, and I'm starting to get hungry because it's lunchtime, and I'm trying to, you know, whatever. And... I got to make sure that Tulu goes to lunch, gets a decent lunch, eats a decent lunch, and gets back on the set in half an hour. That is my job, right? So we get Tulu out of her hot clothes because it's hot because it's, you know, what, uh, September, October here at this point, which means it's hot. She's in winter clothes, boots, gloves, scarf, hat, whatever, the whole regalia. And we're going to eat, and I'm really glad that we're going to eat and then if Melissa and Frank show up and she's like oh and and she's like oh yeah and I was just talking to Frank and he and his wife just moved here and then and, and suddenly I'm in a conversation with my wife and Frank about where where Frank is living now and she's like yeah Frank is he's living in the Palisades and I'm like uh-huh I mean I don't mean to be a dick but Awesome. Hey, that's great. West side. West side. Yeah. What what am I how am I supposed to respond to that? I got to eat, man. I got to eat and feed. Yes, I'm glad that you guys are having a completely innocuous catch-up session. Trust me. But I please don't suck me into a a, a, a small talk that is that minute that I'm like I, I like I, really how do I respond to that? He's the director of the commercial that my daughter, our daughter, is working in, and I don't know what to say to, hey, Frank's living in the Palisades. Hey, bingo. You know, I, have, I got nothing. So then the teacher just keeps offering to Lou, the, like, the wrong, wrong, you know, see, teacher, you're supposed to be bribing her to eat the food she should be eating with the food she wants to eat. You don't just give her the white rice, okay? Because she'll just sit there. She's nine. She doesn't give a crap. She'll eat white rice all day long. Please, we got. If we have to force feed her some chicken, that's gonna have to get done because we're only halfway through a day. A day, she has lines after lines after lines after lines. She's gonna be in a car all. It's just please, can we? Can I? Can I be the adult and not you be the adult? Are you used to like? How does this usually work with the real stage moms? 
with the Tinsel and Tierra stage moms or whatever the wacky boo-boo, honey doo-doo, whatever, okay? No, my, my, my daughter is a complete pro. She did great. I, I mean, I, I wish I had her everything because she shamed me into thinking that I need to reevaluate my career. Um, but she had, so she ate, you know, she had a good lunch and we're heading back to the set and, you know, a little, little while later she got a little hungry and she had a little break. And so she asked me if she could have a Pop-Tart. And I said, well, you know, honey, you did pretty well with your, uh, lunch. We don't exactly have Pop-Tarts around the house. It's not that common that we're near, you know, a Pop-Tart. So tell you what, you can absolutely have a Pop-Tart. I will, you want me to toast it? Yep. Okay. I will toast you a Pop-Tart, but you got to get back to the set. So I am in the craft service wagon and apparently burning a Pop-Tart for my daughter. So I take that Pop-Tart, and I don't have a paper plate, but I have a paper bowl. So I put the burnt Pop-Tart in the paper bowl. And then I put another Pop-Tart in the toaster, and I watch it. But even watching that one, I semi-burn that. So now I have two burnt Pop-Tarts in a paper bowl. And I go back to the set where Tulu is, you know, standing there having some negotiation with Frank. And the script supervisor, now Melissa's gone by now. She had to go back to work. So they are trying to convince her to eat something for some reason. And I show up with a bowl with two Pop-Tarts in it. And they're giving me this look like, what the hell are you doing with those two Pop-Tarts? So they keep saying, like, well, should, you want some fruit or something? And she's like, no, not really, because she knows that I've, right, I've promised her a Pop-Tart. So she, I got to tell you guys, she's not going to eat anything Pop-Tart, okay? But they are trying to get her to eat some fruit. And I say, no, I'm just going to give her a little bit of this. It's fine. I got it under control. They're like, well, let's, okay, my wife is texting me. Hold on a second. There we go. So I, so they say, you know, don't you want some fruit? And she says no. And I say, it's okay. She can have this. And then they keep, they're kind of like talking to me, but they're facing her and they're saying, but but I think it might be better if you had some fruit. And I'm starting to get pissed off because I've got two people telling me how to feed my daughter. So I say, but guys, I've got it under control. And honestly, she's a little hypoglycemic. So I really keep an eye on her Sugar intake and everything. I got And then the script supervisor is like, oh, I'm, I'm hypoglycemic too. Yeah, she, it'd be okay if she had like an apple or though or something because that has a low. And I just are like, listen, it's okay. Please, everyone, I'm 10 seconds away from having a shit fit. So I have to like, how do I navigate this? See, I'm not working. It's not my job. I'm not actually the actor, so I don't really, honestly, Frank, have to kiss your ass. So I'm about to say, tell you what, guys, I won't tell the director where to put the camera, and I won't tell the script supervisor how much to feed her cats. And you guys don't tell me what to give to Lou. How about that? Okay? But until you let me set up the shots and you let me drown your kittens, you got to just back off. So I say to them as calmly as I can, and I don't know how I did, tell you what, guys, if you want her to keep working, 
let me just give her a little bit of this Pop-Tart like I promised, and then you can continue shooting. Does that sound reasonable? And I hoped to convey with that statement that I was being supportive and just trying to take care of my daughter, but if they didn't acquiesce, I would pull her aside for a completely unpredictable amount of time where she and I could discuss whatever we want because she's a minor and I'm her father. So they said okay, so I gave her a bit of Pop-Tart. She survived. She shot the damn commercial. It was glorious. Now, what I haven't mentioned is my wife and I had decided that we didn't want Tulu to tell everybody that she was doing this commercial until we knew for sure that she was doing it and we knew for sure it was going to air and all that kind of stuff. Because you know what? You just never know. And she'd been really good about it. She didn't, you know... She didn't tell her friend. Okay, she told a friend. She told a friend. You know, you tell a kid not to write. Of course, they're going to say something. But for the most part, for a nine-year-old who goes to school with a lot of competitive chicks, she didn't say much. And that was part of the reason, too, is, listen, some of her friends are real friends. And some of her friends, I worry, are going to be really competitive little shitheads about the whole thing. So um, we asked her not to tell anyone. We were very quiet about it. We didn't really get into it with many of our friends that were, you know, I told some people that were completely not really on a day-to-day basis connected with the fan. You know what I mean? Kind of keep it out of Toulouse's little circle of reality. Can you hear the guy mowing? I know I say this every time and then my friend Pete will call me and be like, hey, Dan, you know how you always ask if we can hear the dog barking, but we can't hear him. I'm like, yeah, but I can hear it. And then so I always feel obligated kind of as a host. You can't hear that? Come on. Really? This room is not that soundproof. I can hear it. The air go. But as your host, I feel obligated to go, oh, I'm sorry about that sound. It's just dreadful, I know. It's just dreadful, I know, but I didn't get a chance to finish this recording yesterday, and so I've, right? I'm trying to serendipish to seren. I can't think of that word right now. It's not one I use. I was basically behind your back trying to start the recording again a day later without you noticing. But yesterday, the guy wasn't mowing, and now he's here mowing because it's Wednesday. My point is this. So, we're in Westchester. We're shooting a commercial. No one's supposed to know. And, you know, commercials take a long time to shoot. And so we start at 10 or whatever, and then, the, you know, time ticks away. And pretty soon, it's after 3. And uh, now by this point, we've moved from where we started on one side of this certain street to the other side of the certain street. And Toulouse in the car. She's in the car with uh, four other girls. The girl supposedly playing her sister. Not supposedly. The girl actually playing her sister. She actually was, Dan, playing the sister. It was not a theoretical situation. So the girl who's being her sister and then the sister's three friends, they're all in the car and Toulouse in the car and they have to keep doing these weird things like, you know, take off the door, take off the windows, take off the windshield, take, right, to to get their shots. So before you know it, it's after three and at sometime around, you know, let's say 3.30, 3.45, a minivan 
pulls up across from where we're shooting in the driveway that four hours earlier I had been standing around in watching my daughter on the monitor. So in this driveway where I had been standing, pulls a minivan and out of the minivan gets out one of Toulouse classmates and her brother and her mother. Now, if you can imagine, if you're a child of nine or five or the mother of a child, nine or five, and you come home, now they must have known that people were, because we were in their lawn for half the day. Half the day we were in their lawn, and now we're across the street. Of course, they're going to look, and they're like, oh, look, they're, they're, right, they're filming a commercial, and isn't that interesting? And they can't come too close to the car because it's surrounded by crew members, but I'm literally hiding underneath my baseball hat like she is going to see me. Because the mother is someone that we've socialized with outside of school even. I mean, this is like a small world, man. And no one's supposed to know because we've made this big proclamation that Toulouse not allowed to tell anyone. So the kids go in the house and the mother is standing in the middle of the street with her geriatric neighbor who's been watching all day and they're discussing what's going on. And then eventually the mother goes into the house. Now, luckily, this was the timing. So the mother goes in. But if you can imagine, almost immediately after that, because Tulu is, right, she's the main actor in this commercial. And so the director keeps shouting to her. Now, he has to shout because Tulu's in a car with the windows up because it's wintertime. And the director is shouting, okay, Tulu, do it again, but this time dance bigger. Hey, Tulu! Hey, hey, Tulu, can you hear me? That was great. Do it one more time like that, but wait, lean forward a little, Tulu! Tulu, can you lean forward a little bit? He's shouting directly at the house of the classmate who's not supposed to know. You know the classmate that's not supposed to know because we don't want all our bitchy little bitch friends at school to find out those little mm, so-and-sos, Right? Yeah, the friend that she wasn't allowed to tell that's in her class pretty much that we went and had a big dinner party with two weeks ago. Yeah, well, the director is shouting at her house, Hey, Tulu, you know how you're in this commercial? Yeah, could you sit back on the next take and kind of try to talk a little faster, slower this time, okay? Try to say it a little more serious, funny, okay? <sighs> Wonderful. But as far as I know, they never figured it out, even though, I mean, how could you not, right? If someone was standing outside of my house shooting a commercial and someone was yelling the name of one of my, you know, like right now, right now, Joe Moenblow was just here, the gardener guy. If somebody, right, just randomly was shooting a commercial outside my house and the director was going, all right, Joe Moenblow, Joe Moenblow, please Start your mower now. Joe Moenblow, can you hear me? Sit forward. I think I would notice. There's really not that much more to tell you about that, honestly. A couple days later, we we shot the rest of the commercial. We went to... um, you know, the exact opposite of where we were. Because we... The first day was in our neighborhood at a real house... Well, on the lawn of two real houses and then uh, the house and then the thing or whatever, whatever. And then on the second day, which was the following Monday, I think, we were up at Warner Brothers in Burbank uh, at this place called the Warner Ranch. And it's, you know, it's it's a back lot, essentially. It's a bunch of fake houses. 
and some fake apartment buildings, some fake brownstones, a fountain, a swimming pool, blah, 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 blah. So we show up there and it's just, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of cool. I haven't been in a back lot in a long time and it was really, you know, kind of awesome to take the kids there. Hudson never been on something like that and he likes to direct and shoot videos and all that jazz and here we are in a back lot and I'm like, yeah, kids, isn't this cool? These are all empty and this is fake and blah, blah, blah. And we're walking around the block of this fake block, you know, through the neighborhood part and then past where Tulu's going to shoot. Now, next door, they're putting fake snow on a house, which is always weird when it's 70 degrees and you're in Los Angeles and you see a house that's covered in snow. And then past the brownstones and we're walking around this big area and then the, you know, the, the center of this kind of block that we're walking in. There is one area, like I said, with a swimming pool and a fountain. And this fountain is so kind of distinct and familiar looking. And it doesn't, you know, it kind of like, why would there be a fountain? And honestly, I don't know why there would be a fountain other than I realized this is the fountain. And I'm going to sound so my age right now, but forgive me. This is the fountain. Hey, Dan. Hey, Dan, this is your, uh, this is the back of your mind. Hi. Hey, Dan, um, that's the fountain from Friends. You know, down, 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 right? Joey splashing around, Phoebe, right? Ross falls in. That's, that's the fountain from Friends. I would bet any amount of money. That's, that's the fountain from Friends. Now, luckily, because it's 2012, while at my, the back of my mind is saying this, the front of my mind is going, don't you have an iPhone or something that you could Google Right? Can't you do a little internet search and find out what the Friends Fountain looks like and compare and contrast? So I Google Friends Fountain. And if you Google Friends Fountain, you get a lot of pictures of fountains. And you know what? They're not all the same fountain. Apparently, there's a significant number of people here in the United States that are convinced that the fountain in the beginning of Friends is actually in New York City. Now, I don't know if they think that, right? Friends actually was shot in New York City, that those are real people. They really went to Central Perk, which is really in New York City. It's not, and it wasn't, and they're not, and they weren't. They were all in California. They probably never, they probably never shot a single moment of that show in New York. As far as I remember, I mean, they were never, I mean, at least on Seinfeld, every once in a while, you got the feeling like, oh, that was real New York. They, they're ne- Friends? No. But if you sift through the Google search of Friends Fountain enough to get past the pictures that German tourists take of themselves in Central Park at a fountain roughly eight times the size of the one in the promo, the, right? The, it's, this is for the title sequence of Friends. It's only large enough for, say, how shall we say, six people. It is not the one in Central Park that is right about the size of... Six blocks. But yeah, it, that at the Warner Ranch in Burbank, California, you go to that fountain, and if you kind of get the right camera angle with your eyeballs, there's the building in the background. That's the fountain. There's where I, I, I please let me be Joey. All right, I'll be Chandler. No, Ross, really? Okay. But there, but there's no story. There, we did it. It was fun. She's awesome. 
November 19th. I think it's when it's going to be on. That's all, you know. Yes, this holiday season, my nine-year-old daughter will have a much more awesome commercial on the air than I do. And uh, that's life (laughs) in a nutshell. Uh, I always thought that my son would surpass me before my daughter because he has a four, right, four-year lead on her. But, uh, yeah, my daughter's nine. No, no, I'm not, not like I'm competing with my daughter. I'm not. I'm a father, and I'm rational, and I love her, and I'm so proud of her. And wait till you see. She's awesome, man. She's awesome. I love her so much. It's insane. I love my daughter so much that when she said, because, you know, you have to interrogate your kids every fall. Because your your goal is you have to get them to decide on a Halloween costume, and then you have to order the Halloween costume, and it has to arrive before they change their mind. But not so much before Halloween that they have so much time to change, right? It's, it's a very narrow window of opportunity. You have to stall and then get it done, like or you're dead in the water. So my daughter... You know, even before school starts in September, my kids are looking through uh, costume catalogs and they start coming in the mail that time of year. I mean, it's not like they even stash them away in their bedroom and pull them out in September. They just start arriving in the mailbox in September. And so she starts the whole process every year, every time. You know, is she going to be Lucille Ball? Is she going to be a teenage zombie cheerleader? Is she going to be Harpo Marx? Is she going to be uh, Burton Guster from Psych? I mean, it just goes on and on, around and around. Maybe she'll be a witch again because she likes to scare people and yeah, yeah. So this year, uh, in and amongst all that, my daughter said, you know what I want to be? And she said it really kind of like decisively. You know what I want to be for Halloween this year? I want to be a waffle. And my wife and I respond with, <laughs> uh, so seriously, what are you going to be? And she says, I'm going to be a waffle. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, are you going to be the zombie cheerleader? Or do you want to look for like, I mean, the Lucy thing would be cute with a little dress and a wig. No, no, no. I want to be a waffle. Really? For three weeks, we tried to talk her out of wanting to be a waffle. Because you can't go to your local party city and order a waffle costume. No way. No how. If you can, I've never seen it. If I had seen it, I bet I would have shown it to my daughter and she would have said, nah, not like that. Because, see, this waffle costume had to be her size. Meaning the waffle had to be roughly three and a half feet across. And she was very determined for her head to stick out of the waffle. Not out of the top of the waffle. No, no, no. That would be easy. She wanted her face to stick out of the waffle, like out of it, like out of the front of this waffle costume. Now, my wife has what you would call a job. 
Now, she's freelancing, but she's freelancing steadily. So she does this thing called work, which means during the day, she's not home. And when she does get home, by the time she gets home and we make dinner and everything, she's exhausted and falls asleep. And I don't blame her because that's what I do. At the end of the day, we're, we're still doing dishes. I'm doing dishes, man, at like 9 o'clock, yelling at Tulu to go to bed. So by the time, right, there's no waffle time except for when Dan is home during the week. That is why there was no show uh, last week or the week before or whenever that was. I've been making a waffle. Now, before that, I was getting ready for all of Tulu and her shooting, and we had to get her a special bank account. There's a special bank account. Did I tell you this? You have to get a special bank account so you don't rip off your kids. I had to get that and the work permit and all that, and then that was swiftly followed by the thing that I was writing for that book that I think is going to be in there, the book that may or may not indirectly claim that I am somewhat, quote-unquote, famous. Ha, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. The, the insinuation. Uh, whatever. You know, you know what I was? I was available and willing to participate. And then the waffle, the waffle. Oh my God, the waffle. The book that I said in September I was going to write, you know what that is? That's Toulouse Honda commercial and the thing for the book and a waffle. That's my book. The book. The book that I don't, you know, I don't just talk about writing a book to impress you. I actually want to do it. Please leave me alone. So we decided that the waffle was going to be made of uh, foam, you know, foam rubber. I've been talking for 49 minutes, so let's wrap this up in 10 minutes, shall we? Okay. So, so, okay. Ideally, we want beige foam, but we can't find beige foam. And foam is expensive, so we can't find cheap foam. We certainly can't find big foam because we need big, cheap, beige foam. Because we don't want to paint it. So we want it, we, well, l- let me restate that. We're going to paint it, but we just want to paint on the burn marks from the waffle having being waffle, waffleized. Excuse me. We don't want to paint it yellow. We want to just paint it the brown part, not the yellow whole thing. And then the, okay. Now, Hudson and I made an iPod about five years ago. And it was awesome. And I don't remember where we bought the foam for that. I cannot find the place. I cannot find it in the yellow pages. A Google search, a Yelp search, no search. There's no search anywhere. There's no phone call anywhere that can find the place that we went to buy the cheap yellow foam five years ago. Can't do it. So Melissa and I spend the better part of one Saturday calling every foam place we can find in the internets in the general Los Angeles area. Of course, we can't settle on the place that's near the apartment. We settle on the place that's in Burbank. So I end up driving to Burbank, right, to buy foam. Now, the guy on the foam assured us that the foam would be off-white, and I get there, and it's not. It's very white. It's brilliant, brilliant. It, you know, it looks like those Mr. Clean things that you buy to scrub your stuff. You know those Mr. Clean white scrubbies that, that were originally designed to be insulation on the space shuttle? I'm not joking. I have that on the highest authority. They were designed actually as insulation for something like the space shuttle, and now we scrub our kitchens with them. But that's what it looked like, like that white, like 
unnaturally white. Like Ryan Seacrest's teeth white. So I call my wife and I'm like, listen, uh, this stuff is not off white. It is so white and I don't know what we're going to do. And I don't know. And I don't know because I don't want to paint this whole thing. <laughs> but we don't know what to do. So I end up buying the foam. And um, our big idea is that we're going to use this stuff called uh, liquid nails to glue it all together. So the idea is this. We need four pieces of foam. And we're going to cut them all into a big circular shape to make the waffle. And the two outer pieces, we're going to stack them. Okay, but the two outer pieces will have holes cut in it to make the waffly waffle part, right? The two inside pieces will not have holes, and that's what makes the other, right, the, the, the nook of the cranny, right? That makes the bottom of the nook and cranny. It's not an English muffin, but you know what I mean. Like, right, you, you can picture this, can't you? There's holes on the out. There's four pieces. Okay, there's four pieces, and the outer pieces have the holes, and then the inner pieces don't. And then in between all of them in the middle, so you've got two on the inside, two on the outside. Does that make sense? No. Two on, okay, is my daughter. Right? My daughter's going to go in between. So she's going to have two circles on the front creating this waffle shape. Two circles on the back creating the other side of the waffle shape. And then her head is somehow going to stick it through. I don't know how that's going to work. Now the problem with these projects is I can't... I can... Part of me does a completely half-assed job. I'll tell you that right now. Part of me is so rushed and stressed and panicked. I'm sick of it and half-assed. I'm half-assed. And the other part of me it wants to be a diva and do everything perfectly. So I buy two cans of spray paint for the brown. I end up going to Home Depot. Can you... You've got to be able to hear that. It's like the guy has got the leaf blower right in the garage. No, I am not willing to do it myself. I understand. Anyway, so I buy brown. I buy yellow. The idea is I'm going to paint the whole thing yellow. I got to because it's. They said it would. They said the foam would turn yellow, it, with time. Once it was out of the plastic bag, and it didn't. It, it was still pretty damn white. So I got yellow spray paint, and then brown spray paint. And that's going to make the kind of like toasty, toasty parts. And I got to somehow glue it all together. And then I got to somehow get my daughter in there. And I got to say, oh, my God. And the guys at the foam store say, now, do you have an electric carving knife? And I say, no. And they say, well, that's really the best thing to cut it with is an electric carving knife. Because, you know, it's got two blades and they go back and forth. And I say, ha, 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 why would I have two blades that go back and forth? My mother does Thanksgiving. I, there's no reason for me to have two blades going back and forth. And they're like, oh, what are you going to cut it with? I'm like, I'll figure it out. So I cut the whole thing out with, uh, you know, uh, scissors. After a lot of measuring, waffle, waffle measuring. All the next day, all the Sunday, waffle cutting, circle cutting, my daughter and I cutting and measuring and discussing and, and strategizing. There's a lot of strategery. And then I think the next day, because it's got to be done by Friday. Because, is that right? Yeah, because Friday is the quote-unquote harvest festival at school. Friday is the harvest festival. Saturday is a party. So I don't have till today to do this costume. No, no, no. Today's Halloween. I had to be done by Friday. So on Sunday, so then Monday, I got to figure out how to glue it. So Monday, I realize 
or was that no Monday I spray paint. So I'm out now. A normal person would put on their crappiest clothes and uh, find a special spot, I guess, where there's no wind. But I don't have a special spot, and I'm too stressed out to change my clothes. So I'm just literally in my normal street clothes. I did buy rubber gloves. I'm in my street clothes and rubber gloves in the backyard. I'm like, F it. The lawn will grow. I will just eventually, right, the painted part will get cut. I don't care. And I'm basically just turning the waffle and spring in whatever way the wind isn't blowing. Because the wind keeps changing because I'm basically in my backyard with the walls and the fences and the trees and everything. It's a disaster. It's really kind of like spray painting in a tornado. So I spray paint the yellow and I spray paint the brown. And then the next day I literally, the heart of the, the liquid nails, it doesn't work. The only thing that's going to save you, man, is hot glue. Hot glue. So I'm hot gluing for hour feels like five hours. It can't possibly, but literally for hours, this stupid three and a half foot diameter. Is that the diameter or is that the radius? That's the diameter. Three and a half foot diameter waffle, probably four feet diameter waffle. Okay. Now I'm trying to listen to music and the night before I, 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 I know I got it in my head. I was like, Hey, remember that album that I listened to nonstop? When I used to make out with that girl, Chris something. Remember that? What was it like Bob Welsh's uh, French Kiss album? Remember that sentimental lady? Da, 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 da. Remember that? You're too young. Thank God. Bless you for being too young to remember a French Kiss album. It was the biggest album when I was in <coughs> grade. When I was in first grade. So... For whatever reason, the night before, I had listened to that on Spotify, and I was like, why Why was this guy even famous? He only really, I mean, this album d- does not hold up. It's terrible. I only remember a couple songs. Even I, I must have been just so busy making out with this girl that I wasn't even listening to side two. Really, we would just, like, make out, because that was in the record days, man. You had to flip it over. So, but I got it in my head, because I'm just like, you should go to bed, but don't you wonder how Bob Welch got famous? And I looked up, and he, I guess he had been in Fleetwood Mac, which I don't like. After a French kiss, or maybe even during that time, because I think it was still making out with the same girl, Fleetwood Mac had that big Rumors album that was the big Rumors album, and that's all other people listened to the whole time I was in (laughs) first grade. So for some reason, instead of going to bed, I start searching on Wikipedia about Fleetwood Mac. And again, this is like a spite search, because I don't like Fleetwood Mac. I don't get it. I mean, I get it, but I don't enjoy it. And then somehow I find out, I realize from reading this thing or whatever, that, you know, Fleetwood Mac had like 18 different incarnations before it was the like really effed up love quadrangle of like Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham and uh, Fleetwood and what's her McVie or McPhee or whatever, whatever. Before it was that, with all that like hippy dippy 80s, 70s pop, whatever the hell that was. They were like this cool all-guy blues band. Yeah. So I'm hot gluing a waffle listening to old, not, not, right? Not Lindsay Fleetwood Mac, like old Fleetwood Mac blues, like, like as cool as the Black Keys Fleetwood Mac. You want to hear some cool blues? Listen to old Fleetwood Mac, man. I'm telling you, I'm not steering you wrong, right? If you like the Black Keys... 
The original Black Keys was Fleetwood Mac. Now, the new Black Keys is uh, Gary Clark Jr. Okay? So, the new Black Keys, Gary Clark Jr. Then you got the Black Keys. But a long time ago, in like the late 60s, before the White Stripes, they didn't invent... Okay. Probably pre-Zep, right? Fleetwood Mac. So, I'm listening to Fleetwood Mac. I'm burning off my fingers. I'm gluing painted waffle parts for hours and hours and hours. And I finally get it all together to the point where I don't think I can go any further without, you know, actually putting my daughter in it. And I realize that it looks like crap. Because, you know, I didn't use a machine to cut out these circles. I used a pair of scissors. And so each of these pairs of circles is completely different from each of the other pairs of circles. The circles, everything is, so it doesn't look, I mean, the front, trust me, the front from a distance, man, it looks like a freaking waffle. I could show you, I'll, you, I'm going to put it in the show. It looks like a waffle, but when you put it all together, it really looks like crap. So I have about two hours before I got to pick up the kids, and it is my life's mission to find an electric carving knife. Now, I live in Los Angeles, major city. I live near a big shopping mall. Literally, I should measure it. It's probably a mile away, not even, and it's downhill. I barely have to start the car. If I can get the car out of my neighborhood to Sepulveda and and then just like give it a little bit of, mm, I can coast down the bottom of the hill to the Westfield Mall. Now, this Westfield Mall has Best Buy, Target, Macy's, JCPenney. Uh, well, Old Navy's not going to have a carving knife, but you understand the point. All these other stores, there's got to be a carving knife down there, right? I even look on the website real quick. Target, Target, Target's got a carving knife. It's like $14 or whatever. Awesome. The problem is not that I want to buy a carving knife in Los Angeles. The problem is not that I want to buy a carving knife at Target or Best Buy or Macy's. The real problem is that I want to buy an electric carving knife in 2012. Because I think in 2012, we've gone beyond the electric carving knife. I haven't seen an electric carving knife since I moved out of my parents' house roughly 30 years ago. I think what Americans do now to carve their turkey is they get a non-electric knife and they just run the non-electric knife back and forth along the turkey. See, if you cook a turkey, I don't know what you need an electric, right? That's like a chainsaw for a kitchen. What in the hell possessed us as Americans? It was just the gadgetry, wasn't it? To need an electric carving knife just to cut a cooked piece of poultry. So I'm really getting distraught because I'm really worried because my masterpiece looks like crap. And I really want an electric carving knife. And I'm realizing very quickly that I either have to go to an incredibly expensive kitchen store 
And God only knows what the carving knife is going to be. Or I needed to have ordered it online three weeks ago. Because again, you can't just walk into a random store in the year 2012 and buy an electric carving knife. And then out of desperation, I remember J.C. Penney's is not in 2012. J.C. Penney's is in 1974. So I go to J.C. Penney's and I go over to the electric kitchen appliance area and I interrupt the woman who is putting up the Christmas displays and I say to the woman, woman, do you have an electric carving knife? And the woman says, yes, I do. I made the most awesome waffle costume ever. Now, the thing is, I don't recommend a waffle costume. I'm just saying I made the most awesome one. Because a waffle costume, especially if you're nine, once you put the waffle costume on, you cannot bend your arms or your legs. And you are wearing about 10 pounds of foam rubber. And it's going to be 85 degrees at your school harvest festival. How do you know that? Well, because it's 85 degrees at your school harvest festival every year. Remember how every year at the harvest festival, I say to everyone, boy, it's hot every year. Well, it's hot every year after that, too. Every year at the Harvest Festival, remember how I always say, boy, next year I'm going to wear white. Remember, next year I'm going to dress like somebody from Lawrence of Arabia. Remember that? Remember that? And then the next year comes along and everybody wants to be a waffle. My daughter wore the costume for the minimum amount of time possible. She put it on. She went downstairs. She marched in a parade. They said, you're done. And she took it off and I put it up in her upstairs air-conditioned classroom. And it doesn't matter because she loves that costume and she was so happy and so grateful and so excited to be that big, stupid waffle and yeah I, I haven't been writing I haven't barely been keeping up with the laundry I missed a week or two of this show as it was crumbling around me but I will never and she will never ever 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 Forget the waffle. All right, thanks for listening to The Bitterest Pill. Uh, this has been number uh, 302, if you're keeping track, and gosh knows I must be. Uh, welcome back. If you're back, uh, listen, to all you premium subscribers, uh, <laughs> so I don't really know what's happening. I think I need to go through and start canceling and refunding 
the last set of payments. I'm going to get on that as soon as I can. I'm still kind of waiting to sort a few things out with the company that handled the premium stuff. So for the time being, until further notice, the pill is free. Uh, I don't know what's happening. Uh, I'm going to, um, you know, try to put out a new show every once in a while and then put out the, the old shows every once in a while in this same feed. But, um, yeah, we'll see. But anyway, thanks for listening to all. Uh, please tell a friend to try out the show. It is what you're right. Okay, let's, uh, okay. But listen, have a happy Halloween. Um, if I don't speak with you anytime around the 4th, uh, you know, feel free to drop me a line and wish me a happy anniversary. It's been eight years. Eight years since November of 2004. Holy, holy. Wow. Wow. Okay. Anyway, thanks a lot. Listen, I'll talk to you soon. This is uh, Dan saying thank you. The Bitter's Pill is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. That's 